This week on the Truce Podcast, I talk with Caitlin Schess, author of The Liturgy of Politics. We discuss Christian political involvement and some of the false gospels incorporated in evangelicalism. Listen to Truce anywhere you get podcasts or at trucepodcast.com. Hey everybody, this episode was intended to be released the last week in October, what we call Reformation Week, referencing Martin Luther nailing the 95 Thesis to the church door that happened on October 31st, what we call Reformation Day. We have a great sermon, and we also had a lot of fun talking with members of the Ligonier Network. And some of the stuff we talk about, some of the content we recommend is a little bit time sensitive, and so we thought, hey, let's run it this week. So, happy early Reformation Week. This is Troy and Joel, and you are listening to Revive Thoughts. Whoever could look upon a dead person as though he were lying upon a bed asleep, and so change his vision as to consider death to be asleep, would have reason to be proud of a peculiar science not understood by anyone else. Every episode we bring you a different voice from history in a sermon that they delivered. Troy, it's Reformation Week. There we go. Up on If you're listening to this and when it's coming out and not six months later, true. this episode is coming out just before Reformation Day, October 31st. Last year, yeah. we were able to give you a Martin Luther sermon. And if you clicked on the title of this episode, you probably know that it's this is Martin also Luther. a Martin Luther sermon. Yeah, yeah. Martin Luther is is such an iconic person in church history, and there's so much content that he wrote, and it's such effective content. You could honestly have an all Martin Luther all day podcast. You could almost have a once a week podcast where, or you know, where one of the seven speakers they do every week is Martin Luther. Oh, Revive Divas. Like Revive if you are Divas. a Revive Divas listener, you already know that we already do that with Martin Luther. But yeah. anyway, keep going, Joel. Yeah, Troy and I love Martin Luther here on Revive Thoughts. And so this time of the year, if you're unaware, on October 31st is when Martin Luther nailed the 95 Thesis to the church door uh, and started what Christians now look back on as the Reformation, um, which is it's a really neat portion in history. And so we like to do a little bit of a, a special show today, um, All Things Luther. And we have a great Luther sermon uh, that's being read by Brian Wolfmuller, who read our last uh, Martin Luther, who we think did an awesome job. But we also have another treat, because we are actually exactly 500 years removed from Martin Luther and his movement. And so there's this podcast that we thought you would maybe be interested in. You know, you're interested in church history, you're interested in these leaders of the church from long time ago. You're probably interested in Martin Luther. There's this really neat podcast that the Ligonier Network has put out, um, and we got to talk with the creators about all things Luther, and we had a lot of fun with it. We think you'll have a lot of fun with it. And after that conversation, enjoy the episode from Luther. We are excited here to have Barry Cooper and Douglas Bonds, and I wanted to start with giving them each a chance to introduce themselves. Barry Cooper, can you tell us a little bit about who you are and what it is you're doing? I am a former actor and comedian turned writer, turned documentary presenter, turned podcast host. I think that just about covers it. <laughs> I, I, I don't know whether it's because I'm afraid of commitment or what, but that's basically <laughs> my background. My, my story is that I got converted my first year at university back in 1992. Uh, I was only going to church because the girl I was dating at the time went to church, but I got more than I bargained for. 
Um, and she actually ended up marrying a Roman Catholic, which is an interesting uh, twist in the story. But there yeah. you go. The student worker there um, asked if I wanted to read the Bible with him, and I thought he seemed a bit weird and a bit lonely. So I said, oh, sure, you know, I'll, I'll help you out. It looks like you need a friend. And uh, I went along, and as we read through the Gospels, I met Jesus. So I was uh, converted uh, Easter 1992. Fast forward 25 years, and I started making a documentary on the life of Martin Luther with a friend of mine. Stephen McCaskill, and I think that documentary put me on the radar <laughs> at Ligonier Ministries, and I started presenting a podcast for them called Simply Put, and then they took me on as a supervising producer. So my job is basically writing, devising, producing podcasts, and uh, presenting podcasts occasionally as well. And that's why I'm working on this brand new podcast, Luther in Real Time, which launched October the 10th. Awesome. That was, man, incredible story. <laughs> and I love the part where you're like, oh, you seemed a little lonely, and then it was you who ended up getting... I, that's really funny. <laughs> um, Douglas Bond, we were really excited to have you on. And if our audience maybe followed us for a while, if you're an older listener, you may recognize him as our John Knox, who we have both had on this show before for an interview, and he also did both of those sermons. If you want to go check them out, you can. Some of our older sermons from quite a while back. But Douglas Bond, what are you? Know, who are you and what are you up to these days? Well, I... Uh... I am a writer um, and a sometime uh, gentleman farmer, although the adjective is somewhat in dispute, I'm sure, and probably the noun is too. But, um, and, uh, and I work here in my scriptorium, which is a converted barn, um, and I write here, I podcast here, uh, you know, do all kinds of stuff. Um, here, shoot pool with my son <laughs> and his buddies after they lift weights, uh, all kinds of crazy things. Um, here, but uh, I also lead tours. I uh, started in 1996 uh, leading European tours, um, uh, church history tours uh, based on my books. Uh, so we go to sites and locations that are um, the settings for uh, books of mine. Well, this is a Luther episode, which we are excited to do. We do uh, these usually around that that uh, that October time, that 90 five thesis part of the year right which is why the new podcast you guys have going on over there was is really interesting to us and it's also kind of along the same lines of our show here at revive thoughts i think our listeners would be interested to hear about what's going on over at ligonier barry can you tell us a bit more about what this new martin luther project is and then douglas if you have any other thoughts you can follow up yeah so october the 10th this year was the 500th anniversary of the moment when martin luther was declared to be a heretic by pope leo the 10th and this coming april is the 500th anniversary of his epic climactic here i stand speech mm. so we thought what if we could release a dramatization of luther's life just during that period what if we could do it in his own words and in real time. So each episode comes out exactly 500 years to the day after the events described. That's the basic sort of elevator pitch there. Um, I, I mean, I love books. I'm all about history books, but what history and biographical books cannot do is give you a real sense of the temporal spacing of events. You know, if you read quickly, then the Second World War lasts only a few weeks. You know what I mean, if you're reading about that? So what we wanted to do is immerse people in the pacing of Luther's life for those six months to bring you closer to the reality of it. You really feel the tension with him as it builds and builds in real time. 
Yeah, that was the part that most fascinated me about the show. Just, I think it's impossible not to be kind of sucked into the idea of like 500 years ago to this day. This right. is the speech, the setting, the uh, even with our show, Revive Thoughts, we always give the backstory of what that preacher, who they are. And if we can, we give the exact context, like where there's a Dietrich Bonhoeffer sermon we did where the Friday before people were marching through the streets and then that Sunday is when Dietrich Bonhoeffer got up and started preaching, don't be afraid, you have nothing to fear, even though Nazis had marched through and pillaged the streets just a night and a half before. There's something about just that deep context. And so as soon as I saw this show you guys are working on, I was like, that is such a good idea. And we wanted to tell our audience, because again, people who love history, I was like, you guys got to get in on this. Um, But it's not just this is a cool structure. You picked Martin Luther. Like, there's something about him. We have had him on our, we have not had him on our show, but we've done a couple episodes <laughs> on Martin Luther already. You guys have been around a long Ooh, time. Let me tell you. And, <laughs> and we've done, uh, we do another show called Revive Devos, actually, where every seven, every week, once a week, an episode comes out about two to three minutes long. It's a devotional from Martin Luther where we take some content of his and work it out. And, I've worked on both of these projects now for quite a while, and there just seems to be no end to just great content that Martin Luther has. He has just written so many things and said so many things. And I wanted to ask Douglas, you know, what what it, what is it about his personality, his actions, his writings? What is it that makes him such a fascinating character in church history? Well, Luther is the uh, probably the most written about figure in church history. I think uh, it's, it's kind of hard to measure things like that, but uh, there are just so many books out there on, on Luther, and for good reason. Uh, he is, uh, you know, he's the, you know, he's just, he's irascible. He's, uh, he's uh, you know, unstoppable. Uh, he, he does not think before he speaks. I mean, he's, you know, other people come to mind, but um, uh, I mean, I think he does think before he speaks, but he lived in an age and he was up against the world uh, and all the powerful people in the world <clears throat> such that um, he he gave back uh, in, in kind um, and sometimes in great crudity. Um, uh, you know, there's there's things that uh, Barry and the gang there, <laughs> when I write an episode, I, I share it with eight people. On, isn't that what it is, uh, Barry? I think something like that. There's well, a lot yeah. of a lot of in the kitchen. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, there are things that we've, they, you guys have nixed, right, Barry? Because they, we, we just can't put that up from Luther. It's real Luther, you know. But it's, <laughs> it's, it's not appropriate for all audiences. And I think this particular, I've heard from lots of folks now that children are listening, you know, the family's listening in the car and the little kids are listening to this too. So we got to remember that, Barry. But um, it's partly because I think if we actually did do those things, a lot of people would be taken out at the moment and they, think to themselves he he didn't say that come yeah, on yeah, yeah. surely he didn't say that yeah and um, surely he did say a lot more than we're, <laughs> you know, we we can fine. we can yeah. actually quite relate to exactly what you're talking about we also sometimes have to kind of go oh listen and that's a little interesting tidbit don't know if that it's that it would distract you from yeah. the content of the message of exactly. you would get so exactly. taken out of the moment just trying to figure out what did that just say um and we also have the same thing too where we've been told oh we have families that love to listen in the car we take you know my teenagers my young kids love your show and we go there's a lot of like murders and martyrs and death in this show are you sure they should be listening to this yeah yeah, yeah well read your bible you know yeah, yeah that's true of, good uh, point horrific yeah. things that happen yeah. in the bible and um but you know it's never it's never uh, aggrandized and and made the feature and uh you know made made gratuitous but um and, and we don't want to do that either and 
but Luther was a man of his age, and um, and there was a, and he he also was a man with lots of rage. I mean, he was. He, he exploded. He was a highly emotional person. I think I don't know. I, I guess I think of him as sort of a 16th century Peter. You know, mm. I mean, he's he's the kind of guy that, um, and, and mm. really corresponding to him would be John Knox. Although I think John Knox um, uh, it wasn't wasn't his you know his factory settings weren't as much to be the thundering Scot as Luther's factory settings were to be the you know, the man who would take on the world. Um, so I think that fascinates everybody. I mean, he's loved across denominational lines, too. Mm. You know, if, you, if we did a podcast on, on Calvin or if we did a podcast on Knox, um, Knox maybe would be more accessible to some. But, um, but Calvin, there, there would be too much, there would be too many people who would be predisposed against him theologically, maybe. Whereas Luther doesn't seem to carry that kind of uh, uh, baggage uh, uh, with him. Um, but I, I think he, he is an absolutely fascinating uh, figure. He was the uh, most prolific writer of the 16th century. I think the other the other thing with Luther as a subject is that um, he writes. He he gives us a real window into his his everyday life. Mm-hmm. There's so much writing about him, and so much of it is biographical as well you compare that to john calvin i mean you're going to read the the institutes in vain if you're looking for sort of biographical details of by you know insights into his everyday life but with luther there's there's absolute um uh yeah there's so much stuff to, to draw on and the other thing of course is that this is the man who secured for us that uh, some of the truths that we hold most dear yeah. Um, you know, justification by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Mm-hmm. If you're a Protestant, if you're, I, I, you know, I would argue that if you're, you're a Christian who cares about the gospel, I mean, that those are incredibly precious truths. Mm-hmm. And so it makes a lot of sense, I think, to focus on, on, on Luther for, for that reason. Of course, he wasn't the only show in town mm-hmm. as, as far as the Reformation sure. was concerned, but he did certainly seem to be um the, the the guy who went really viral at the time who really kicked things into a higher gear yeah and that's a good way to say and, and there is just a little bit of something too he was one of the first and you know you, you we mentioned john calvin john calvin was at school while the notre bell you know bell was the notre dame bell was ringing and they were burning you know people on the side he wasn't even close to the reformation at that point there is a little something i think about just he's that he's that first that tip of the spear as part of what makes him um and I love what you said, too, about that autobiographical. When I read Bondage of the Will, that was the part that just really got to me. It was just like he was putting himself so into the text. Mm. Um, but, yeah, great, awesome yeah. answers. And that's, and that's Douglas's genius, by the way. I can say this. Um, I hope I don't embarrass him. But, <laughs> you know, Douglas's genius as a writer is that this is, you know, he can get inside the, the hearts and the mind of, of somebody who's been dead, you know, nearly 500 years hmm. and put that onto the page and really bring him to life. I mean, he's, you know, Douglas, is, he's a prolific award-winning writer of, of, of historical fiction this is a real sweet spot and when you couple that with the you know rob jorgensen on audio design and so on and, and john mm. campbell doing the music mm. and rupert wickham as luther you just have this extraordinary sort of perfect storm i think of of um a podcast and nirvana i'm not sure i can say nirvana on a christian podcast but you know (laughs) (laughs) our show uh revived thoughts deals a lot with church history and i don't know when troy and i started working on this show we were kind of surprised at how little we actually 
real knew about church history. Like it was one of those things where I, I feel like a lot of people think that they know a lot, especially if they were raised in a Christian household. Um, but the reality of 1900 years, you know, pre our generation, um, there's a lot there. There's a lot to dig into. There's a lot to discover. Barry, I'll ask you. The, I'll direct the question at you. What are something that you're hoping the audience uh, learns about Martin Luther through this new show? I, I think the big application I'd love people to take from it is: What would you die for? If you're if you are a Christian, what would you stand for? Where where would you draw the line and say, "Here I stand. I can do no other." Um, I think most of us don't even want to slightly upset other people. You know, we, we, we're, we're afraid even to lose people's approval. That was not a problem that Luther had. Um, and I understand that. I'm British. We are dangerously nice people. <laughs> I mean, in 40, 40 years, I don't think I have had anything approaching a disagreement with any of my aunts and uncles because we're terrified of offending each other. And you never mm. spoke about religion because that was in very poor taste. But Luther didn't have that problem. And interestingly, when you look at the things that he stood for and risked his life for, mm. I mean, it seems extraordinary now that he would risk his own health, his own physical health, by making a stand against, for example, indulgences. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure there are many, if people are being really honest, of course, we all, we all love to say, oh, of course I'd die for Jesus. All right, but what would you die for specifically? justification by faith alone would you make a stand for that i think that's tremendously challenging and clarifying as as we look at the life of luther i absolutely agree with that uh for you the listener we're going to start moving towards the sermon portion but just before we do i want to give both douglas and barry a last opportunity to say anything that might be on their mind any last thoughts on martin luther or this new show they have um we're going to give them that opportunity This week on the Truce Podcast, I talk with Caitlin Shass, author of The Liturgy of Politics. We discuss how evangelicalism has gotten tangled up in nationalism. We end up in positions where we take passages intended for Israel and apply them to America in ways that are not not good uh, exegesis. But also, I think then we end up in a position where we have to defend, we have to baptize the whole, especially early history of our country, because if it was founded on Christian values and God has to be defended and Christian values have to be defended, then we end up in a position where we either have to deny some of the atrocities very early in our country's history, or we have to say that those are Christian values. We have an ability in a unique system in which we have some democratic involvement in the in the running of our country to hold it to account to what God says countries should be. Listen to Truce anywhere you get podcasts or at trucepodcast.com. So Douglas, what are your closing thoughts for people? If you could, one more thought for them to think about as they're about to listen to the sermon. You know, the, the psalmist says that um, the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The scripture calls us to have a high view of uh, champions who've gone before us, like Martin Luther. And uh, so I think we want, don't we, Barry? We want our listeners to you know, come to know Luther better. If they didn't know Luther before, we want them to know Luther. If they, if they, already, they thought they knew a lot about Luther, we want them to know a lot more about Luther. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but uh, ultimately, um, <laughs> You know, it, it's like the end of it's like the end of Hebrews 11. You know, the hall of of faith, and all these people, and then Hebrews 12 begins, and it, the writer of Hebrews tells us 
deflects us away from them. It says, looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of mm. faith. So that's that's what Luther would want. Um, and Luther, you know, was, I mean, he had warts, oh my goodness, and uh, as do we all. Um, and, and as do all of those all those people listed in Hebrews 11, you know, they all had warts, some of them had huge warts, you know. Luther was committed, and then in the middle of the night, in the watches of the night, he was, am I alone wise? You know, how can I be, who, this, <laughs> this son of a miner from Saxony, you know, how can I be right and everyone else be wrong? And uh, so he, he had all those same fears and doubts and all that we do. But there's a great deal of strength we can gain from the collective um, writings uh, of this, this uh, great saint, uh, listening to sermons of his, as, as your listeners are about to do. It's great. All right. Thank you so much for being on, guys. Tell us where um, they can find your show so that after they're done listening to the sermon, they can go subscribe to it. Actually, while you were talking, I realized I hadn't subscribed to it. So I subscribed to it on my phone just now. Uh, yeah, so just head to Luther in real time, all one word, dot com, Luther in real time, dot com, or type Luther in real time into your favorite podcast app or your least favorite podcast app. <laughs> Either <laughs> will work. Yeah, any of them work. Awesome. Thank you guys so much again for coming on the show and uh, talking about the great man of Luther with us today. Yeah, thanks for having us. Absolutely. Great to be here. My daughter is even now dead, but come and lay thy hand upon her, and she shall live. And Jesus arose and followed him, and so did his disciples. And behold, a woman which was diseased with an issue of blood twelve years came behind him and touched the hem of his garment, for she said within herself, If I may but touch his garment, I shall be whole. But Jesus turned him about, and when he saw her, he said, Daughter, be of good comfort, thy faith hath made thee whole. And the woman was made whole from that hour. And when Jesus came unto the ruler's house, he saw the minstrels and the people making a noise. He said unto them, Give place, for the maid is not dead, but sleepeth. And they laughed him to scorn. But when the people were put forth, he went in and took her by the hand, and the maid arose. And the fame thereof went abroad in all the land. So far the text, Luther's Sermon. In today's gospel you hear of two miracles, both of which are great and excellent. The first is of the woman whose faith in the Lord Jesus is so firm that she hoped to be healed at once if she could but touch the hem of his garment secretly without his knowledge. The other is of a certain ruler who also believes that the Lord is able to restore his daughter to life though she was already dead. In both miracles faith is highly praised that it may serve as an example for us because faith in Christ accomplishes such great things in order that thereby we may be encouraged gladly to approach him in whom no one has ever trusted in vain. In the first place, we have here the example of the poor woman who was afflicted with a dangerous and severe disease. St. Mark mentions especially that she had suffered many things of many physicians and had spent all she had and was nothing bettered but rather grew worse. The miracle is that, after so long a time of effort, she is speedily healed by the Lord, though she does nothing more than what she had heard of some others who had but touched his garment. She is convinced that she also will be healed, presses through the crowd to the Lord, does not even ask him, but thinks in great humility of obtaining her object secretly. 
She therefore touches his garment. All at once her condition was changed for the better, as she had believed. The issue of blood ceased from which she had suffered much, and for the healing of which she had tried many things and spent all she had. But all in vain, and to her own great injury, as St. Mark says, she was nothing bettered, but rather grew worse. Here we must notice particularly that the Lord does not want us so to steal help from him, that no one shall know anything of it. Therefore he asked, Who touched my clothes? To the apostle this question seems to be a foolish one, because the people were crowding very closely around him. But the Lord knew what the apostles did not know. It was not mere touching with her hands. The woman had touched him with her heart, and firm reliance on his grace and omnipotence. Therefore a special virtue had gone out from him, which he felt. Such touching the Lord, for our example, does not want to remain secret. With his question he presses upon the woman, and she has to come out and to be seen and acknowledge before everyone publicly all that had occurred in her case, in order that he may have occasion to praise such faith of hers. This is the most agreeable and the highest service in which he is well pleased. Therefore he also praises the woman and addresses her cordially, saying, Daughter, be of good comfort. Thy faith hath made thee whole. Now the disciples themselves must confess that the question of the Lord was not vain, it was not a common, but a peculiar touching which concerns the Lord and us all. It, yet it seems singular language which the Lord here uses. He confesses that virtue is gone out of him. As now the woman stands before him and acknowledges the benefit bestowed by him, he gives no indication that a virtue has gone out from him, but ascribes all to the faith of the woman, although not she herself, but the Lord has helped her. But the Lord observes this manner, in order to inform us thereby how well pleased is he is if you expect from him everything good and ask him for help. It is though he would say, See to it, and learn to believe confidently, no matter in what need you are, that I will indeed more readily help you than you are prepared to ask. I am much more ready to deliver you from death than you are to desire life. This he proves by the fact it is easy to obtain from him the healing power so much desired. This example should teach us to believe and to expect everything good from Christ in every time of need and anxiety. But the fact is, we hear it preached, we are told of it at home, and perceive the miracles which he continues to perform every day, and yet we are very slow to believe. Whoever sees his cellar and granary filled may believe, and yet doubts whether he will have enough to eat or to drink for a year. Those who enjoy good health believe that God can help them, but when we are exposed to poverty and disease, then our faith is at an end. Then we do nothing but complain and cry and imagine help to be found nowhere, though we are informed every day that God will be gracious unto us and help us through Christ. How does such conduct of ours correspond to that of the woman, who perhaps has heard of Christ and his miracles, but once or twice and yet approaches him with a faith so strong that if he had been away above all the heavens, she would have torn them asunder and brought him down and compelled him to help her? For as we have said, he cannot refuse help if he is asked earnestly and in true faith. Therefore we are indeed unhappy people, because we are so well provided with the word of God and yet are so very slow to believe this is the fault of the devil and of our shameful old Adam. For if we have had an earnest desire for righteousness and salvation and all that we need, we would believe in the Lord Jesus and hope for everything through him. For faith, as you have heard, can never be put to shame. Therefore the Lord extols faith very highly, saying, Thy faith hath made thee whole. 
The same faith in Christ will also help us raise us from death unto life, conquer the devil, dispel our sins, and give us eternal life, all of which, though it is done by Christ, is nevertheless ascribed to faith. For it can never be obtained without faith. Even Christ the holy sacraments, and the word of God, or the preaching of the gospel, cannot help or benefit us without faith. Faith must do it, else it will never be done. So much concerning the first miracle. The other miracle that is wrought on the little girl, who, as St. Luke tells us, had lived as long as the woman had been afflicted with disease. Nobody expected anything else but that the maiden would surely have to die. Therefore, all preparations usually made in such cases had been completed. The minstrels were at hand to perform their part at the funeral service. The Jews had no church bells, as we have. Instead of tolling the bells at funerals, as we do, they had their minstrels to sing funeral hymns. A great many people had met for the burial, and there was a great throng of those coming and going, as is usual at the death of a prominent person. When all had despaired of the maiden, and no ground for human hope was left, Seeing that the child was dead, the father is taken by the singular thought that if he only had Christ, his deceased daughter might be made alive again. For this his words indicate, he worshipped him, saying, My daughter is even now dead, but come and lay thy hand upon her, and she shall live. And although St. Mark and Luke tell us that the ruler had come to Jesus when his daughter was at the point of death, yet they inform us that she was dead by the time Christ entered the house. They also are careful to inform us that the Father continued to believe, notwithstanding, and to trust in the Lord that he would help and restore her to life. Who in all his life has seen or heard more singular people than these? The woman who had to despair of all human help is determined to be well, if only she could get near the Lord and touch the least hem of his garment. And she is not disappointed in her expectation, as she had believed, so is her experience. And the Father whose daughter was dead, begins to think if the Lord would only lay his hands upon his deceased daughter, she would live again. Yes, you may rejoice, the laying on of hands might accomplish something if we had to deal with a common sleep and not with bitter death itself. In this case, no hand, no shaking, no push, no calling, nor anything else will be of any use. It will all be in vain. So reason will and must argue, it cannot do otherwise. But the ruler thought differently, else he would have stayed at home and not run after Christ. Here we see once again how well the Lord is pleased with such faith, which is altogether foolishness to reason. For although he had an important work to do, and was led into a spirited discussion with the disciples of John, when he perceived this faith and confidence, he arises at once to follow the ruler and to do as the man believed. Therefore, when he entered the house and saw all the preparations for the burial, he is afraid that the father, beholding the lamentation and the example and the unbelief of others, might be discouraged, and hence at once speaks words of comfort to him, and orders the people who had need for burial to leave the house. It is though he would say, What are you doing here? Do you expect to have a funeral? Oh, no. Go to some other place where someone has died. No one here is dead. The maid only sleepeth. Others answer, no, she does not sleep, but is dead. We are here for the purpose of burying her. You must not take us to be so ignorant as not to know the difference between sleep and death. Hence the evangelist says, They laughed him to scorn, as though he were a fool who does not know what sleep or death is. But the Lord insists on his opinion, and is determined to show that he was right. No one agreed with him except the father of the maiden. This sufficed for him. For his sake, that is, for the sake of his faith, he gave the proof that he was right. Whilst the father had not believed, the maiden would not have slept, but would have remained dead. 
Such a great thing is faith that trusts in the Lord Jesus for every blessing. Therefore, the Lord steps forward, touches the maid, and shakes her a little with his hand, just as we deal with a sleeping child when we endeavor to awaken it. Thus the father believed, and the Lord wished to do as the father believed, and soon the maid arose as if she had enjoyed a good and sound sleep. These words which the Lord here speaks, The maid is not dead, but sleepeth, we should diligently study. They are words of comfort, for which, if they could be purchased, we should cheerfully give all that we possess, in order that we might retain, understand, and believe them as they were intended. Whoever could look upon a dead person, as though he were lying upon a bed asleep, and so change his vision as to consider death to be asleep, would have reason to be proud of a peculiar science not understood by anyone else. But we see and experience in ourselves and others that the more reason holds sway over a person, the less he believes and the more he is inclined to laugh, as we see here the people mocking the Lord and asking, Should this man be able to raise the dead unto life? He must be out of his mind, because he considers a dead person to be asleep and capable of being awakened by the touch of a hand. The wisdom of God is so high that human reason considers it to be altogether foolishness. Suppose a child of yours had died, and I would tell you, It is not dead. Do you not see that it is merely asleep, and that it can be awakened by a finger? Would you not regard me as a mo mocking you in your grief, and ask me not to trouble you? The very same thing the people here tell the Lord Jesus. Therefore learn from this gospel lesson that in the sight of Christ death is nothing more than a sleep, as we here behold him awakening the dead made by the touch of his hand as from a mere sleep. Sickness also is no sickness before him. It is seen in the other example of the woman who was very sick, but whose sickness had to cease and depart as soon as she came to Christ and touched his garment. Thus the Lord deals also in other affirmity, infirmities and distresses. The blind who apply to him for help receive their sight. The sinners are justified, and the lost are saved. He indeed deals with us wonderfully. His words in our eyes seem not only vain, but even contrary to the facts. Before the eyes of all others the maid was dead, but before my eyes, Christ says, she lives and is asleep. David is in his own eyes and in the eyes of all men a poor shepherd, but before me he is a king. And all of you who believe in me are poor sinners in your own eyes, but before me you are great saints and like the angels of God, for only a word is necessary, and sin, disease, and death must pass away and make room for righteousness, life, and health. As I speak, so all things must be. The Lord here makes use of a marvelous word when he says of the maiden, She is not dead, but sleepeth, which words are a great falsehood in the eyes of the world. If he had merely said, She sleepeth, the people could have taken it to the sleep of St. Michael, which lasts till the day of judgment. But he says in plain words, she is not dead, but sleepeth. In your estimation and in your eyes she is dead, but before me she liveth. And in order that you may behold the truth of my words, I awaken her by the touch of a finger, as you are accustomed to awaken your children from sleep. In short, we are taught here not to look at our need according to human reason with carnal eyes, but with the eyes of faith. These are eyes which, when they behold sin, death, and hell, can nevertheless say with assurance, I see no death, feel no sin, and am not condemned, but behold in Christ nothing but holiness, life, and salvation. 
Thus, when I am poor, I feel no poverty. I feel as though I had plenty of everything, for I have Christ who can give me at all times all I need, though I possess nothing. Whoever has eyes of this kind might glory in having Christian eyes. He would view things otherwise than the world does in times of famine or in pestilence. In times of famine, everyone will look at his supply and cellar and granary and feel according to the amount of that supply. If it be large, he will feel happy. If small, he will feel discouraged and despondent. So also in times of pestilence, whoever can flee will do so and seek safety at some other place. But a Christian who has a strong faith in Christ would argue thus, Though I were attacked, if possible, by a thousand pestilences, I will not fear death, because I have Christ. If it is his will, no pestilence shall harm me any more than a flea, which may bite and sting me a little, but cannot take my life. And certainly, if one could have such faith, he would feel secure, feel fear nothing, and be of good cheer. But because we do not believe, and have no spiritual eyes, but look upon everything with carnal eyes, we are afraid and despondent and are given to foolish thoughts as though we could flee many miles from the wrath of God. Now, the Lord Jesus testifies that also those live unto God who, according to our view, have died, been buried, and decayed long ago. Therefore the Lord says, Matthew 22, I am the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Therefore Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob must live, and not be dead though they had lain in the earth thousands of years and are long since turned into ashes so that neither hair nor skin is left. But Christ proves plainly that they are living, because unto God all must live, whilst to us all is dead. For the world and human reason cannot see anything but death, but the eyes of Christians should see what they do not see, but only hear in the word, as the Father and Christ here look upon the deceased maiden. What is here said of death may also be said in reference to sin. I am required to know and to confess that I am a sinner, and yet to believe and hope in pure holiness and righteousness. For these are the words of Christ in baptism, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. And in the sacrament of the altar, Eat, this is my body given for you. Drink, this is my blood, which is shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Words like these I am required to believe to be true, and though in myself I see and feel only the contrary, I am not to regard this, but only to look upon the word and hear what it says. Thus when you see a Christian die, you behold a dead person. But close such carnal eyes, and open the spiritual eyes which behold the word, and you will find that such a person is not dead, but living before God. For here is the word of Christ, He that believeth in me shall never see death. Thus we should learn from our gospel lesson, that all misfortune, no matter how great it is in your eyes, is less than nothing before the Lord. For if death is to be nothing for a Christian, then blindness, deafness, leprosy, pestilence, and other diseases must be still less. Therefore, be not alarmed when you discover in yourself sin, sickness, poverty, or other ills. Close your carnal eyes and open your spiritual eyes and say, I am a Christian, and have a Lord who can remove all evil by a word. Why should I trouble myself so much? For as easily as he could deliver the maiden from the bodily death unto which she had fallen, he can also help us if we would but believe and trust in him for help. We should remember also that this maiden experiences help not through her own faith, for she is, the dead do not believe, as, though, as they do not see nor hear, but through the faith of his father, which faith of another is so strong that it becomes the means of her restoration to life. 
For as Christ says, All things are possible to him that believeth. Such a powerful gift is faith. No matter how great a thing is, if you can but believe it and trust in Christ for it, it shall be, and neither death nor the devil shall be able to prevent it. This we learn from both miracles in our text. They are pointed out to us, and the excellencies of faith are extolled by our Lord in order to incite us to look upon the creatures in a far different light as they are in the sight of God from what they are in our sight. Though to ourselves, therefore, we appear to be dead, covered with sin, prostrated by pestilence and other diseases, yet we should believe that God looks upon these things in a different light and joyfully exclaim, Though I am surrounded by poverty, pestilence, and death, yet as a Christian I know nothing of poverty, pestilence, and death. For before my Lord Jesus it is all riches, health, holiness, and life. And though I do not see it now, only a word of his is needed, and I shall see it with bodily eyes that it is true and it will surely come to pass. May God, for the sake of his Son, our Redeemer, through his Holy Spirit, grant us such spiritual eyes that we may look upon all misfortunes differently from what the world does, always be comforted, and finally be saved. Amen. After listening to the sermon and the interview with Barry and Douglas, and especially if you're a listener of ours in the past, I really think you need to go check out that Martin Luther sermon from over the summer uh, and the Martin Luther sermon we put out a year ago around this time and it with Rive Devo's Martin Luther. He is a huge, tremendous figure in church history, and for good reason. He's accessible. I know in my own life reading The Bondage of the Will was a very powerful book that really deeply encouraged me in my faith. But but Douglas said something in the interview, and I don't want anybody to miss this, because I think it's true. Sometimes we can idealize these people just a little bit. We at Revive Thoughts love telling you the stories of these men because we think they can be inspirational. We think they really represent Hebrews 11. We are surrounded by such a cloud of witnesses as this. You know, that cloud of witnesses obviously is referring to the people in the scriptural text, but these people who live out their faith, we can be inspired and encouraged by them. But like Douglas said too, let's not Remember not to put these men on a pedestal because everything we like about them, everything that they do to encourage us in our faith, it was the moments they had given themselves and surrendered to God, and God used them to do that. At the end of the day, Martin Luther is such a powerful man who we remember and want to keep in our minds during this time because of the way he lived for Jesus Christ. It is Christ through him, in him, and in his body that we are a part of that makes him such a powerful person. And if it hadn't been for him, he would have been a forgettable person like all the rest of us are. And so I just want to keep in mind as we kind of step away from this episode and as hopefully you are going to check out Luther in real time, I just want us all to keep in mind and remember that Martin Luther is a great man because of a greater man, a great God that he served. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Revive Thoughts. Today's sermon was narrated by Brian Wolfmuller. Brian Wolfmuller is a pastor at St. Paul's Jesus Deaf Lutheran Church in Austin, Texas. 
He is the author of Martyr's Faith for a Faithless World and many other books. He's also the co-host of the Table Talk Radio podcast and has a number of other theological projects that all end up on his blog. You can check it out, wolfmuller.co. If you enjoyed this episode of Revive Thoughts, again, I want to encourage you to go check out Luther in Real Time with Ligonier, but we also hope you will take some time to tell others about Revive Thoughts, what we're doing here at the show, trying to bring all this engaging and exciting content to you. And we also really want to encourage you guys to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Those reviews uh, do make a difference in our show's uh, rankings and chartings. It tells other people that this is a show that's worth checking in on and looking at. And it doesn't have to be on Apple if you use a different podcast player. I use Podcast Addict, and there are other ways to review us. But every time you leave a review, you're helping lead other people to our show and letting them know that this is something to take and spend time with and that it will encourage them in their growth with God. And that's very important. And we really appreciate that an absolute lot. This is Troy and Joel, and this is Revive Thoughts. This week on the Truce Podcast, I talk with Caitlin Shass, author of The Liturgy of Politics, we discuss Christian political involvement and some of the false gospels incorporated in evangelicalism. Listen to Truce anywhere you get podcasts or at trucepodcast.com.